I want to focus back to about 2010 this morning. In 2010, there was a horrible, horrible earthquake that hit the island of Haiti. It was a 7.3 on the Richter scale that was bigger than anyone has ever seen, especially in Haiti up until that point. And this earthquake was absolutely devastating. This earthquake killed 220,000 people. It injured 300,000 people and it left 1,500,000 people homeless. Now in 2014 and 2015, Jacob and I had the privilege to lead some English speaking training courses in the gospel over in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And I remember landing at the airport and being escorted through the city by a guy named Warnell who worked for the prime minister there. He was part of his armed guard and he met us on his motocross bike with a machine gun across his chest. He took us from the airport to the church that we would be teaching and and leading this English certification class out of with our team and all of our buses. And I remember driving through the city of Port-au-Prince and I remember seeing the devastation that this earthquake caused. And I remember talking to people in that church who had lost people from that earthquake. I remember the devastation that they felt and the look of pain on their faces anytime that they thought about it, that it came to mind. But there was a daily reminder of that earthquake because the rubble that that earthquake caused was still there. You see, that earthquake was so devastating because in Haiti, they had a construction issue. And the construction issue was that they didn't know how to properly build on the land that they were building on. Most of Haiti is very loose rock. It's built up on the side of a mountain. So Port-au-Prince, there's not very good ground to dig deep into. And so when you finally save up enough money to get property, you get a little 10 by 20 chunk of property. And the only thing that you know to do is to start pouring concrete because you need a place to sleep and you don't want that place to be on the ground. The problem is that foundation isn't attached to anything underneath. And so in order to build up, what they do is they pour more concrete. Maybe it's on the property line. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's part of their neighbor's house. Who knows? Maybe their neighbor got a new wall. They weren't planning on that. And they jam steel rods in it as deep as they can. And they take construction blocks, you know, the things that our fences are made out of. And they start to build up. And then their families grow. And as their families grow, money is still tight. And so they don't go and buy the piece of land next to it or down the city. They just build up. And so you have family after family, generation after generation, building up and up and up. And the problem is it's poor construction. The problem is it's a poor foundation. The problem is it's poor building materials. And so when a 7.3 earthquake comes through, anyone that's not at work, anyone that's in their home, is immediately dropped to the ground, is immediately crushed. I remember going through the city of Port-au-Prince and looking around at these homes, and you think that they would learn their lesson. You think that the idea would get across. We just had 220,000 people die because of our poor construction, because of this terrible earthquake. But we could have prevented maybe some of that. But instead of learning from their past mistakes in construction and building, instead, they just built on top of the rubble. They got as much out as they could, and they just poured more concrete on top of it. They didn't learn their lesson. 
Well, in 2021, there was another earthquake, and it didn't kill near as many people, but it was quite devastating all the same. The foundation that you build on is absolutely crucial. The material that you build with is absolutely crucial, especially when it comes to life and especially when it comes to our lives as believers. We're going to read that today in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 12. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 12, we actually get to the next page of our Bibles. If you have a church edition ESV Bible, uh, we're going to go from page 1014. I think we're going to actually make it over to 1015 today. It's only taken us five weeks. We're finally here. But this is good stuff today. I'm really excited to share this. I think Peter says some things that are, pun intended, foundational to our lives with Jesus. And he writes in verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. What do we see in verse four? We see that Peter automatically, just right out of the gates this morning, sets an expectation for us as believers. The very first five words out of his mouth or out of his pen, however this works, as you come to him. So everything that we've read previous to this, Jesus is our living hope. As we come to him as believers, having trusted in the message of the gospel, there is an expectation here that we are going to Jesus. This isn't just a go to Jesus once, get your get out of hell free card, and you never have to go see him again. We don't enter into religion with Jesus. We don't just have a punch card where we say, all right, I would like to be saved. Punch. Okay, I would like to continue to be saved. Let's make sure I go to church on Sunday. Punch. All right, I would like to, you know, maybe when I get to heaven, I'd like it to be a little bit nicer. Maybe I can get a punch for that. Maybe I'll serve. Maybe I'll give. Maybe I'll tithe. Whatever it is. We don't enter into religion with Jesus. We enter into relationship with Jesus. And the only way any relationship ever gets better is what we put into it, is the pursuit in that relationship. And so there is a pursuit that is going on. Jesus is certainly pursuing us. He pursued us more than we could ever imagine being pursued when he died on the cross for us. Now we pursue him as you come to him. Who is Jesus? He is a living stone. How does a stone become living? Anytime I think of a stone, I just think Arizona. We have a lot of them around here. You ever seen a living stone? Not me. When I see stones, it's probably me trying not to trip over them on a hiking trail somewhere. That's about as living as they get as my rear end goes toward the ground. And as they somehow catch me, they don't really, they just hurt. That's about as living as I've seen him. But Jesus is a living stone and he is living because he has been resurrected. So he is living, but he is a stone. He is also our foundation. And then Peter says, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So what we see here is that rejection from man doesn't determine value from God. As we go to Jesus, a living stone, resurrected, offering us resurrection through his work on 
the cross, a stone as he is our foundation, the thing that we build our life upon. Yes, we will be rejected by people around us. Remember, the audience that Peter is writing to is the early dispersed church all over the place in this Greek area. And he's writing to them because they have suffered. He is writing to them because they have gone through trials. He is writing to them because they have been rejected by men. But what do we see in our lives as we are rejected by the people around us, especially when Jesus is our foundation, is that our value isn't determined by those people accepting us or rejecting us. In fact, if they reject us, it's probably because we're more valued by God because we are really building our lives on the foundation of him. It is because we are different. So I don't know where you're coming into church this morning. I don't know your past history. I don't know your life, but I do know that your value, that your worth is not based off of anyone else's placement of value or worth on your life. You may have been rejected by some people and it hurt. You may feel like you've been rejected by your mom, by your dad, by your coworkers, by some friends that you used to have a long time ago. I don't know your story, but I do know that those people and those situations, those relationships and those scenarios do not define your value, do not define your worth. Just as Jesus was rejected, we too will be rejected. And if we follow our king who was rejected, we are sure to be rejected. And just as Jesus's value isn't found in other people that rejected him, he is found chosen and precious in the eyes of God the Father. If we are in Jesus, we will be chosen. We will be precious in the eyes of God our Father as well. And then Peter goes from this idea of being rejected to now, now in Jesus, because he is living and we are living in him now because he is the stone, the foundation that we are building our lives upon. Verse five, now we are included Now we are a part of the picture as Jesus is a living stone. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you, Asante Church, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So now we are included. We are given a purpose. We are not, we are rejected by men, but we are included by God. And we are included, we see for three things really quick here. We are included to be built up as a spiritual house. There is a bunch of what you would call Old Testament temple language going on here. We are built up as a house. We are a holy priesthood. We are to offer ourselves as spiritual sacrifices. Don't let these big titles, these big phrases, these crazy monumental purposes scare you. You are built up as a spiritual house. You are now the holy temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It's not in a tabernacle somewhere. It's not in a temple somewhere. Now God is inside of you and you are being built up as his spiritual house. Jesus is our foundation. We are the materials that he is using to build in the Holy Spirit. The power that rose Jesus from the dead isn't just wistfully going from person to person, inspiring scripture to be written, giving just crazy feats of strength to people. No, now because of the death, the sacrifice, and the victory, the resurrection of Jesus, he is within us when we enter into relationship with Jesus, when we are made right with the Father through his work. 
We are built as a spiritual house in order to be a holy priesthood. The whole idea of the priesthood in the Old Testament was to be a representation of God to the people. Guess what, church? You're a bunch of priests and priestesses. Is that intimidating? Don't let it be. You're not supposed to do it in your own strength. Remember, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, go out into the world and represent God to society. We're built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and as a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. We no longer bring animal sacrifices up to the altar. That would be the most awkward, violent thing we could do inside of a school cafeteria, okay? And I don't think Principal Dean would be very happy with us when she got back to school on Monday morning or when that thing went viral on the internet. I got arrested and we didn't have a place to worship anymore. We do not sacrifice on an altar anymore. Now, so much harder, so much harder than taking an animal, the best of what we have before the Lord. Now, you're the sacrifice. Now, I'm the sacrifice. Now, I have to lay down my life. I have to lay down my desires. I have to sacrifice who I once was in order so that now I can become alive to the Lord. And here's what's really cool. For all of you people that are coming from religious, religious legalistic, fundamental backgrounds. For all of you A-type personality Americans, we can never be made acceptable on our own accord. We're a spiritual house. We're a holy priesthood. And we ourselves are spiritual sacrifices. And all of this is made acceptable, not by, if we're a good boy, if we're a good girl, Not by if we do enough good things, maybe we can get into heaven. If we don't do enough, we go and burn in hell. All of this made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Normally we end with the gospel. We're going to start with the gospel this morning. And I think that is very fitting because of the work of Jesus. Dying for the sin of the world. First living a perfect life, God's one and only son, born of a virgin, comes down, lives a perfect life, tempted with all the same temptations I'm faced with, all the same temptations you are faced with, yet without sin, never falling into a single one of them, still chooses to take the cross in order that I might be forgiven, in order that you might be forgiven. God is holy. And because God is holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And so when Jesus dies for us, he says, I've seen seen every sin you've ever sinned, Alex. I've seen every sin you would ever sin. And I still choose to die for you. And so when I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior, what Jesus does is he takes my sin and he says, you don't deserve this. This is mercy. This is grace. But here is my righteousness. He takes my filth. I get his righteousness. The same account takes place with you. The same transaction takes place with you when you put your trust and your faith in Jesus. And now we are not seen as filthy. We are not seen as having to be distanced from by God the Father, but we are put in right relationship. Jesus took our sin. He died on the cross for it. He didn't stay dead. He was victorious over it. On the third day, he rose from the grave. He kicked the devil's tail. He kicked sin's tail. He kicked death's tail. And now we have 
life because of it, because he was resurrected in him. Now we can be resurrected too. Now we are found acceptable through Jesus. So your salvation you're being a spiritual house, you're being a holy priesthood, you're being offering up spiritual sacrifices, all these now acceptable through the work of Jesus. Praise God, it is not on the work that you could do yourself. Not a single person in this room can earn their salvation. It was earned for you, it was given to you, it is a gift for you to live and to accept and walk out, baby. Thank you, Jesus. You are acceptable to God through his work. And then Peter just gives us search engine results. Are you ready for this? I really think what Peter is basically doing today is he is giving us five different results of what it looks like to live a life that is founded on the foundation of Jesus as our living stone, and then to also be living stones ourselves. I think Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because I know they didn't have Google back then, unless all the history books are lying, I think what Peter does is a mental Google search for the word stone in his mind. And I think on the spiritual side of this, what the Holy Spirit is doing as he is writing this book of First Peter, he is inspiring it being written through Peter. He is also now allowing Peter to go back to all the things that he once learned in the Old Testament. All the stories he would have heard growing up and even a story that he would remember from Jesus, his King and his Savior. And he kind of brings them to us this morning. He presents them to us as proof of life being lived as living stones. And so we continue on in verse six. It says, for it stands in scripture. That's Peter saying, I'm about to back up all these claims. Are you ready? Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What Peter is doing is he is taking his audience and now us to result number one, Google result number one, Isaiah 28 verse 16. And what Peter is saying based off of Isaiah 28, 16 is the foundation of truth and righteousness that we build our lives upon exposes the lies of those that build their lives on anything else. If you are building your life on anything else, truth and righteousness will expose it. And Peter is saying, he's referencing back one day, God is going to place a cornerstone in Jerusalem. And this cornerstone is going to be monumental, foundational for believers. I remember the first time I ever learned what a cornerstone was in my life, and you would think it was like on some kind of house project. It wasn't. I don't think at this point in life I really knew how to use power tools. That was a little bit later on. I was going for a job at UPS because Rachel and I were about to get married, and her dad worked there, so I knew I had an in, all right? It was the most terrifying interview I've ever been in my life, okay? There's two things I learned about UPS. They don't have a lot of time and they don't want to spend a lot of money, so they're going to squeeze as much as they can into that one time slot. And so I was getting an interview of the facility. I worked in the Mesquite Hub, which is the third biggest warehouse hub in the world, at least at that point. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they just wanted to be proud about something. But they were walking us through this hub. And then I, I guess they were just like, hey, let's give these guys some on-the-job training or just try to scare them off. And so they bring us all underneath 12,000 different conveyor belts and people yelling and sweating and I'm sure bleeding somehow. 
And they take us to the back of this 55-foot, 18-wheeler trailer. And they got one of their baddest guys in the back of this trailer. And he is building walls of packages. And the sort manager, the, the shift manager for that shift says, Hey, Billy. Billy sounds like a good name. That's, yeah, that's a good one. Hey, Billy. What's the most important part of building a wall? And Billy kind of turns around. And he says, the cornerstone. And then he kind of turns back to us and like, you guys hear that? It's the cornerstone. Okay, cool. Yeah, man. So do we get hired now? Is that, do you just want us to stay in here and start cornerstoning? And then he explained the importance of a cornerstone is this conveyor belt that runs into this truck. It's important to take the biggest heaviest, sturdiest boxes and kind of set them aside for the next walls that you're going to use to build out this entire trailer as you're loading it full of boxes. And you want to put the heaviest, sturdiest, widest box at the bottom left or bottom right corner of this trailer because that's what you're going to build everything else off of. The width of that wall, the height of that wall, the strength of that wall, the sturdiness of that wall, all comes down to one box. If you grab a box and it says fragile on it, and you put it in the bottom left-hand corner, that wall is going to come tumbling down, and customer service is going to have a really bad day. You need to grab something sturdy, and you need to build everything off of that. And then not only did you make $8 an hour, but you made your sort manager happy and customer service doesn't have a bad day for us as believers. We build our lives off of the foundation of Jesus. Peter is saying that there's a cornerstone that would be laid. Peter is going back and he is starting to add proof and evidence of what would come so that he can prove that it is Jesus. Verse seven, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, this is what you have to watch out for. The stone that the builders rejected, well, he's become the cornerstone. This is Google engine, search engine result number two from Psalm 118, verse 22. If we go back to the original scripture in the Old Testament, what Peter is doing here, what, they, what the psalmist is doing, is he's painting a picture of a construction site. There's these constructionists, there's these builders that are walking along this construction site and they see this stone and this stone looks good and this stone looks like, man, maybe that could be the cornerstone. But for whatever reason, they reject it. They say, no, that's not our cornerstone. And they go down the line and they say, well, maybe this is our cornerstone. They start to build off of that when that cornerstone or that stone isn't the cornerstone. It's not going to be as good to build off of as this stone. And then God walks through the same construction site and he sees, no, these builders got it all wrong. No, it is actually this stone that I will build off of. And that is Jesus. And then we see Jesus use this very same verse in Matthew 21, verse 42. And this is what is so sweet about this. As Peter is writing these believers, he's not only going to the Old Testament to give proof that the cornerstone is Jesus, build your life on Jesus, but he is now going to the very words of Jesus. And as Jesus confronts these religious leaders in Matthew 21, 42, he is saying, hey, what's up, punks? You're the builders that they were talking about in Psalm 118, 22. You know, you know that Psalm, that one that you sing up in the temple? Yeah, that's about you. And I am the cornerstone that you have rejected. You have rejected me, but don't worry. God will use me. 
that leads into result number three from Isaiah 8:14, where Peter quotes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So if we put our faith in Jesus as our cornerstone, we will not be put to shame, yes, by the world, but not by God. But for those who do not, those that reject him, he will become a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. In Isaiah 8, the Lord is painted as this picture of a refuge for God's people when they're under attack, specifically here by the Assyrian army. What Peter is saying here is that you've rejected him. And he will not be a place of refuge for you. Instead, he will be a stone of stumbling. He will be a rock of offense. The cornerstone that the church would be built off of is now something that you trip over. We're here in Arizona. We can picture the Grand Canyon, this beautiful rock that the biggest, strongest, most incredible building could be built off of. For those that reject it, go over and they look out in the beauty of the Grand Canyon, they just trip right over that rock. It becomes a point of stumbling, and they fall off the edge. And then Peter says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. For those that do not see Jesus, that do not make him their cornerstone, that do not build their lives on the foundation of him, destined, destined to fall, destined to trip. And we see, we see a good point of application for us as believers today, that we too can be disobedient to God's word. We too can miss out on Jesus as our foundation, as our cornerstone. So we must surrender to God's word. We must obey God's word. We must surrender to the good news of Jesus as Peter has been writing this whole time because disobedience leads to destruction. Our first point this morning, be living stones as Jesus is a living stone. Be living stones as Jesus is a living stone. As believers, Jesus is the only foundation that offers us life. Any other stone that we try to build off of is not living. It is dead. As believers, we only build on Jesus. And so, kind of do a little introspection here. What have you built your life on? It could be something good. It could be something valid, something of worth, something of quality. It could be your marriage. But your marriage wasn't supposed to be the cornerstone. Your marriage is supposed to be a stone placed on top of the foundation of Jesus as our cornerstone. It could be your job. It could be your income, the amount of money that you make, that you have made the foundation of your life. That's a, that's a really good possibility. In a room this big, with as many successful career people as we have, it's very easy that we can make our job, our career, our income, the foundation of our lives the thing that we feel sturdy enough to jump off of, to build on top of, but it will fail every time. It will become a stumbling block that leads to destruction. Maybe it's travel, maybe it's toys, maybe it's status, maybe it's what people think of us. The problem with all of these things is that they are cornerstones that are too small. They are rocks that are dead. They are not living. They do not offer life. 
that is true life, that is life in full, that is only found in the resurrected life, the true life that Jesus has to offer us. And so the question for us becomes, what do I see Jesus as? Do I see Jesus as the foundation of my life or do I just see Jesus as a building material left on the job site? Am I giving my all to Jesus to follow him and building everything and basing everything off of him? Or am I just kind of tacking him on as a shingle on the roof of my life thinking that maybe it'll keep me wet or it'll keep me dry when it rains? Maybe it'll keep me from getting wet. Maybe, maybe it'll just make my life a little bit better. Are we asking Jesus just to add value to our lives or are we counting on Jesus to be the value of our lives? We get a few more reasons for living stone living in verses nine and 10. Verse nine, we see result number four coming straight out of Exodus 19 verses five and six and kind of redundant from what we've already read, but you, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. If you got saved like right around 2003 to 2006, you probably heard that song at a church camp somewhere. In the marvelous light, I'm running out of darkness, out of shame. Just me? Okay, cool. And then verse 10. This is result number five, the final result that we see from Peter's mental search of the word stone. And this is from Hosea. Once you were not a people, we see that Hosea has children. He names one of his children, not a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. And so starting back in verse 9, we see from the Old Testament scripture that it was Israel's job to represent God to the world. And we see that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Israel. And now, now we belong to Jesus. How do we belong to Jesus in verse 10? We belong to Jesus because he chose us. He didn't just choose us, but he redeemed us. That means that he made us clean. That means all the junk in your life, all the sin, all the brokenness, all the hurts, habits, and hangups that you once had, those have been restored. Those have been made new. You have been cleaned. You have been chosen. You have been redeemed, but it wasn't for nothing. All of this has a purpose to it, and that is to proclaim his greatness to other people. You have been chosen, you have been cleaned, you have been redeemed so that you can proclaim his greatness so that Jesus can choose those people, so that Jesus can redeem those people, so that they can proclaim his greatness, rinse and repeat over and over and over again. You were given a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance at life so that you could go out with the message of the gospel founded on the word that is the Lord. And you could share that and proclaim his excellencies with other people. And that same life that you've received, you now have to offer to them. Don't worry, you're not doing any of the saving. That is all in the power of the Holy Spirit and God's choosing. But we have a purpose. Chosen and redeemed to take out the word. Point two final point this morning. I know some of you are thinking there's probably four more of these bad boys in here. We're almost there. 
Living stones take action. Living stones take action. This point was almost rolling stones gather no what? Moss. Yep. I, I remember when I first learned about the rolling stones, you know, the rock band back in the day, they were like 90 and that was 20 years ago. And they still look the same and they're still alive and rolling. Those guys, they gather no moss. This is a call to action as living stones and holy people. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh because which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify the Lord and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so what Peter is saying here at the close of what we take in today is remember, remember church, remember exiled ones, remember you who are going through trials because of Jesus. Remember those of you who are suffering because you are following Jesus. Remember first and foremost, you are loved. You are loved. I don't know if you've heard that or not this week, but you are loved. I think a lot of us need to hear that a lot more. One of the leading psychologists coming out of the COVID pandemic so that nine out of 10 people in professional counseling didn't actually need counseling. They just needed to know that they were loved. They just needed to be reinsured that they were loved. And so Peter is bringing the truth of the love of God to these struggling believers. And he's bringing that same truth to us as a church today. Remember, you are beloved. You are loved. Your value is found in Jesus. You are worth it. But also remember this. As sojourners and exiles, what he's basically calling them is, hey, you're aliens. You're not going to fit in here. Stop trying to fit in here. You will only be persecuted the more you live for Jesus. And so you will feel more and more like an alien. You are not home yet. You are longing for home, but home is not where you are now. Home is just ahead. So you are loved. You are aliens. You're from a different place. You live differently. But don't forget that while you're here, that you're going to have desires of the flesh. Your human desires, who you were before Jesus, is going to continue to want and crave and desire the things that you wanted, craved, and desired before Jesus became a part of your life. Yes, you have died to that, but you have to keep dying to that over and over again. Remember, you are a living sacrifice. Keep putting it on the altar, your desire on the altar, your old way of life on the altar. Another way to put it is kill your sin before your sin kills you. There is sin in our lives, whether that be lust, whether that be gluttony, whether that be idolatry, whether it be theft in a room this big, You could go down the whole list. There is somebody struggling with one of those things across the board in this church. Kill it. Kill that sin. Because if you don't, without a doubt, that sin will kill you. It'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your family. But it won't start there. It'll start in here. In a thought. And in a thought that you think you can manage, a thought that you think you can keep a secret from everybody else. And then that will grow and that thought will become an action. And eventually that action will become a characteristic and that characteristic will become a habit, 
a way of living. And once that sin grows up into a way of living, each step along the way, it will, without a doubt, crush and destroy your life. And you will wonder what happened with me and God. Well, you allowed a little wedge to get in between, and it just spread the distance between you two over and over again. And over time, it will feel like he's not even around. Kill the sin in your life before it kills you. Verse 12, Peter reminds us, we will be talked about. Bank on it. Bank on it. Sojourners, exiles, aliens, bank on it. Asante Church, as you live more for Jesus, people are going to be like, dang, that guy got weird. (laughs) He doesn't hang out with us anymore. He doesn't drink with us anymore. He doesn't watch the things that we used to watch. He doesn't say the things that we say. What happened to him? He keeps saying Jesus, but I don't get it. That's weird. You will be talked about. But as you are talked about, not if. Remember, we're not chameleons. We don't live like the world with the world and live for Jesus at church alone. We live for Jesus everywhere, 24-7, all the time. As we live for Jesus, live in a way that others get saved. When evildoers talk about you, which they will talk about you, let them talk about you in a way where they examine your life and they can find no fault. And if they do find fault, let them find weakness that leans on Jesus to get them through. Let them find a life that is based on the mercy and the grace that is given to us by the cross in Jesus. Yeah, you can be weak and you should be weak, but your strength should come from the Lord. Let them see him when they look at you. And as they're talking mess, let them get saved because of it. Let's wrap it up this morning. How is it that we are to be the church and display the kingdom this morning as we leave this place? We're to be the church and display the kingdom because we build our lives on Jesus. And so build your life on Jesus. Not only that, but be usable material for Jesus to build with. You are a spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood. Go out with it. And number three, kill your sin so that others may know him. We've got work to do. But remember, we're not putting in work in our own strength. Not an ounce of it is us. 100% the work of Jesus in our lives the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing we're not alone because we couldn't sustain it on our own, but we've been given the helper so that he can go to work in our lives so that Jesus can be displayed so that we can continue to be saved every day as we offer ourselves up as living sacrifices so that other people when they examine us can come to know him as well.